I didn't think about the fact that this was immediately following the infant dedication, so here you go. Deathbed scenes. Yes, that's where I'm starting. Deathbed scenes are all the rage in Hollywood. And if you're an emotionally manipulable person like me, they are a surefire way to elicit tears. Now, often the tears trickle or stream down silently, but occasionally it can become a full-on ugly cry. And though I'm a bit slow to the party, it seems I've become a bit of a Star Wars fan, and I knew something had shifted when re-watching Return of the Jedi in the last year, and Yoda's deathbed speech left me a little closer to the ugly cry versus the silent tears end of the spectrum. Here are those famous words from Yoda. This is not a spoiler. Star Wars has been out for decades. Catch up, people. Luke, do not underestimate the powers of the emperor, or suffer your father's fate, you will. (laughs) Luke, when gone am I, the last of the Jedi will you be. Luke, the force runs strong in your family. Pass on what you have learned. Luke, there is... Another Skywalker. Dun, dun, dun. It's got everything you want in a deathbed speech. There's deep remembering. There's incisive mentoring. There's tender and empowering encouragement. And then it caps off with a big juicy reveal. These are final words to remember. Now, now I'm going to jump again, but it'll tie back. I cannot recall the last time that I ever heard anything from the book of Joshua read in church. And despite that fact, some of Joshua's words in today's reading, many of us know by heart. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, what will we do? We will serve the Lord. They've got to rank right up there with I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me as the most cross-stitched and embroidered words in all of scripture. But sometimes familiarity breeds sentimentality, and few of us are in touch with the context that surrounds Joshua's pithy, cross-stitchable declaration. The context, and here we loop back, is something of a deathbed scene. Joshua is dying, and this is his final oration. It's his farewell speech to his people. He's an elder among them, and he loves them, and so the stakes are just about as high as any stakes get. This is his last chance with his beloved people to deeply remember the faith of their ancestors and God's faithfulness to them over generations, This is his last chance with his beloved people to mentor them in their own faith, to implore them to greater faithfulness. And this is his last chance with his beloved people to offer tender and empowering encouragement. There's not really a big juicy reveal in Joshua's parting words as there is in Yoda's, but this isn't Hollywood. It is the Hebrew Bible. 
What Joshua is doing here is more than embroidering a wall hanging. What Joshua is doing is life and death. With his beloved people, he's revisiting and retelling the stories that have been passed on to him by his ancestors. And there's much in those stories to disturb. Again, (laughs) the whole book of Joshua is filled with stories to disturb. There's violent conquest. Destruction of land, suppression of peoples, and outright theft. It is far from pretty, and it makes me at the very least squirm. But more often than not, it makes me outright rail at what I see as false images of God. Oh, no. No, 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 no. God most certainly did not give you the land of other peoples. Now, I'm not going to dwell here this morning, but I do want to simply call attention to Amy's beautiful sermon just a couple weeks ago about the crossing of the Red Sea and the death and the destruction of the pursuing Egyptian army. As with the Exodus, which Joshua references in our reading this morning, this isn't our story. This is a story for oppressed peoples and not for privileged class victors like me. As with the Exodus, I can and must I think, feed this story to those who have known the torments of oppression, those who need a God who clears a path before them. That's not my story. But with that in mind, it's a great time to revise what I just said about Joshua, because Joshua is not just simply revisiting and retelling the stories passed on to him by his ancestors as a benign exercise in regurgitation. He's doing it with a purpose. He is revisiting those stories and traditions for the sake of sifting and renewing, for taking something ancient and finding a good word in it for a new time and a new place and a new people and a new situation. He longs in his parting words for his beloved people to not just cling to the old, but to filter and sift and renew so that their faith won't just be something that's in a history book collecting dust on a shelf, but it's something that's alive for them. This is, incidentally, exactly what Jesus will do generations later when he says, You have heard, but I say to you. You have heard, but I say to you. Taking the faith and traditions of his ancestors, filtering and sifting and reapplying for a new time and new place. Joshua longs in his parting words for his beloved people at its most simple to have no other gods before God. That's it. In their time, in their place, in their situation to have no other gods before God. Now, the competing gods for Joshua's people are different competing gods than those of their ancestors, but they are no less competing gods. And this is Joshua's deepest desire and his benediction for his beloved people from his deathbed, that they have no other gods before God. There's nothing else worthy of your ultimate allegiance, he would say. And just about everything in your life is going to be competing for your ultimate allegiance. Which, of course, brings this ancient faith alive for us as well, we too can sift and renew the stories and traditions that we have received. We do it every Sunday when we come together, and we do it throughout our weeks. 
we too can sift and renew, looking for a good word for this time and this new place and this new situation in which we find ourselves. Our competing gods are different than the competing gods of Joshua's people, which are different from the competing gods of their ancestors, but they are no less competing gods. A short list of competing gods for me might include wealth or something that I'd really like to call financial security or more related, debt-free, but really wealth. That short list for me might also include success, not Fortune 500 CEO kind of success. I'm pretty uninterested in that sort of success and the life that comes with it. But a Mennonite pastor sort of success, a financially secure, socially active, do-gooder kind of success. Mm -hmm. My list of competing gods might also include leisure, and its companion, numbness, might include being liked, being liked, might include comfort, consumerism, not the flashiest of flashy consumerisms, but consumerism nonetheless. Almost anything in our lives competes to claim ultimate allegiance. Almost anything in our lives wants to be a god before God, which makes those infinitely embroiderable, cross-stitchable words of Joshua a bit less sentimental and a little more sobering. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we're going to serve God. These are final words to remember, final words to live or try to live, final words to embrace and renew and reinterpret for a new time and a new place. And as you sift and renew your own religious traditions and stories, those that you inherited, those that were handed to you of no choice of your own, and those that you have claimed and chosen or reclaimed for yourself, as you sift and renew those religious traditions and stories for yourself, for your family, for your, woo, sorry, your beloved people. (laughs) May you know yourself to be part of a sacred lineage, engaging a holy task. And may you, may we, be blessed with wisdom and spiritual discernment as we do so. May it be so.